0: Chapter 6 of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, North America. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Carpenter's Geographical Reader, North America by Frank Carpenter. Chapter 6 In Philadelphia A Visit to the Mint. A car ride of less than three hours brings us from Baltimore to Philadelphia. We pass the manufacturing city of Wilmington, Delaware, and long before we reach Philadelphia itself, we see great factories and learn that we are in one of our chief manufacturing centers. There is only one city in the country which has more manufacturing establishments than Philadelphia, and that is New York. There are more than 260,000 men and women in Philadelphia who make things to sell. Thousands are busy weaving woolen cloths and making clothing. There are thousands of men building ships, and our greatest naval vessels are made here. Other thousands are making goods of iron and steel, and we learn that the United States has become the greatest manufacturing country in the world. After our country was first settled, the most of the people were farmers. They raised things from the soil. As more people came, some of them began to make things to sell. This has gone on until now one man out of every five in the United States is engaged in manufacturing. We have now 12 times as many factories as we had 40 years ago, and a vast amount of money is spent every year in paying the wages of the men who work in them. If we could see all the workmen of the world, we should learn that our people are better fed and better clothed and have better houses than those of any other nation. We find this especially so in Philadelphia. We walk for miles through long streets of small but neat houses made of red brick with steps of white marble. There are thousands of such houses here belonging to the working people, and it is said that more people own their own homes in Philadelphia than in any other large city of the world. But why has Philadelphia become a great manufacturing city? One reason is because it is so situated that materials can be cheaply brought to it and the manufactured goods shipped from it to other parts of the United States. The slopes of the Appalachian Range are such that railroads have been built from Philadelphia through the passes of the Allegheny Mountains, thus giving it an easy road to the lands farther west. It is also a seaport, although it is 100 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. Large steamships can sail up Delaware Bay to Philadelphia, bringing the materials people want to use in their shops and carrying their manufactures to all parts of the world. The Schuylkill River furnishes Philadelphia with water power for manufacturing purposes, and the city lies so near the coal lands of Pennsylvania that the fuel for steam power costs very little. Not far from it are the largest beds of anthracite coal to be found anywhere. This coal makes a great heat and is very valuable for manufacturing. It is so hard that people for a long time did not think it would burn, one noted man saying that if the world were burned up, this would be the very last thing that would catch fire. Philadelphia is one of the oldest cities in this country. It was founded by the Quakers under William Penn, and for ten years, from 1790 to 1800, it was the capital of the United States. We visit Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Then we walk through City Hall, one of the largest and most beautiful buildings in the United States upon its tower there is a bronze statue of Penn, which was made by philadelphia workmen and is one of the largest statues in the world it does not seem very big as we look at it from the ground but it is really as tall as a three-story house and the buttons on the coat are half a foot across during our tour through the city we stop for a moment at the grave of benjamin franklin it is in the little graveyard of christ church in the midst of the hum and hurry of the busy city and is marked by a plain marble slab. It was in Philadelphia that Benjamin Franklin lived the greater part of his life. He was born in Boston and learned there the trade of a printer. He came to Philadelphia as a boy to find work, and his first meal in the city was made of a loaf of bread, which he bought and ate as he walked through the streets. He afterwards became a great man and was of much service to the United States. When Franklin first came here, Philadelphia was larger than New York, it was the biggest city in the united states until the erie canal was built this made new york grow so fast that she soon got ahead of philadelphia and philadelphia is now smaller than either new york or chicago it has however more than a million people and it has many beautiful buildings we visit the mint where most of our gold silver and copper money is made there are several other mints in the united states but the philadelphia mint is the oldest it was founded during the presidency of George Washington, and it coins millions of dollars worth of gold and silver every year. It is situated in the heart of Philadelphia, not far from the city hall. There are guards at the door, and visitors are carefully watched as they are taken from room to room and shown the processes of coining money. During our tour, the superintendent of the Mint goes with us. He takes us down into the vaults and shows us where the gold and silver metal and coin are stored away. In one vault, we see millions of silver dollars tied up in bags and stacked up against the wall like so much corn. In a smaller vault, we are shown piles of gold bricks. They are laid up in regular order in different parts of the vault. They are, as a rule, about the size of a cake of kitchen soap, and they do not look very heavy. The superintendent asks us to lift one of them, and we find our backs almost broken by the effort to raise it. Each brick weighs forty pounds, or as much as a six year old boy. In other vaults, we are shown quantities of silver bullion, the bricks of which are larger and heavier than those of the gold vaults, and we learn that from these gold and silver bricks our money is made. In going through the mint, we are taken into a room where they are melting the gold, and the superintendent shows us how copper and other metals are put with it into the melting pot, in order that the money may be harder and wear better. The gold we saw in the bricks was so soft that we could scratch it with our fingernails. It was pure gold, and the superintendent tells us that coins made of pure gold would soon wear away, and that a pure gold wedding ring would hardly outlast the honeymoon. The gold bricks, having been melted, are cast into ingots. Ingots are long gold wedges. They are about as wide as a twenty-dollar gold piece, and are a little more than a foot long and two inches thick. It is from them that the gold coins are made. As we go on into the silver melting room, we see that the silver for the silver dollars is also cast into strips of the same kind. We see a man wheeling a box of these silver ingots out of the room and follow him along the hall to see the ingots made into dollars. We still have the idea that our coins are made by casting, the gold and silver being melted and turned into molds, just as in the making of bullets, save that, when the molds are opened, out drop gold dollars and silver dollars instead of balls of lead. We soon find, however, that our coins are not made in that way. They are stamped out of cold metal and machines with an enormous pressure put upon their faces the beautiful images of the goddess of liberty and the American eagle. The silver ingots are first rolled between cylinders of steel so graduated that the ingots grow thinner and thinner as they are pulled through them until they are at last just a little wider and about as thick as a silver dollar. They have been so stretched out by the process that they are like long bands of hoop iron rather than like chisels or wedges. These bands or strips are now run under a vertical steel punch which cuts out of them round pieces of silver of just the size of a dollar. These are the blanks of which the dollars are to be made. It is very important that each coin should have the right amount of silver in it so each blank is weighed before it is stamped after weighing it is taken down into the basement of the mint and with thousands of other blanks is shoveled into a vat of acid which soon eats the dirt off of it it is then dried and taken upstairs to be coined the coining is done by what is known as the coining machine the silver blanks are fed through a long tube into a machine which drops them between two dies the upper die bears the picture of the goddess of liberty and the lower that of the American eagle and the lettering which you find on the silver dollar. As the coin lies there, the two dies come together, exerting an enormous pressure, and stamping the beautiful impressions which you see on our silver coins. Gold coins are made in the same way, and pennies are manufactured by the thousands in much the same manner. Leaving the mint, we take a run out to Fairmont Park, where the centennial exhibition was held, to have a look at the zoological garden we visit Gerard College, which was founded by a rich man for the education of poor boys, and then, after a meal at the magnificent railroad station at Broad Street, we take the train for New York. End of chapter 6